have you here with us. All righty. It's so good to see all these lovely, lovely, wonderful faces. All righty. Um, you know, this week's study was just awesome. I hope it blessed you as much as it's blessed me. Um, and I just hope to do it some justice, you know, as the Lord speaks through me to you. Um, we're going to start out, first of all, with a recap of um, Acts chapter 1. Um, Acts chapter 1 spoke about the faith of the first Christians. Verses 1 through 11 talked about how the first Christians believed in the risen Christ. It also talked about how Jesus remained on earth after his resurrection. He remained here for 40 days and used that time to minister to his disciples. In that time, the Lord taught them many important lessons. It was a special time of ministry used by Jesus to better prepare his disciples for what lay ahead. It also served to quench any doubt that many any may have had about his resurrection. Another benefit to seeing Jesus alive was that it helped to strengthen the faith of the believers. In addition, Jesus used his time to speak to his disciples about his coming kingdom. He asked his disciples not to waste any time speculating about the arrival of his kingdom, but to better use their time to um, share with others the message of his spiritual kingdom. In verses 4 through 8, it spoke about the power of the Holy Spirit when John the Baptist walked the earth and had announced the future baptism, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we will see the prophecy fulfilled, and by its fulfillment, it became an empowerment of power for the disciples in order for them to serve the Lord and to accomplish his will. In verses 9 through 11, the believers received assurance that Jesus would return. The ascension of Jesus into heaven was an important part of the ministry. Had he not returned to the Father, he could not have sent the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus going up to heaven means that we have an interceding high priest, um, that he prays for us day and night. I don't know how that makes you feel, but oh, it makes me feel great. He's also our advocate, pleading our case before the Father. You know, and I don't know about you, but that gives me an added measure of security, knowing that he loves me that much, that he would go through all that trouble to do that for me. And he doesn't do it just for me. He does it for, for you and you and you back there and anybody who will believe in him and love him. As the believers watched Jesus ascend into heaven, two angels appeared to give the believers the much-needed assurance that Jesus would come again and that he would come again in the same manner that he'd been taken from them. In verses 12 through 14, we observe that the followers of Jesus believed in each other also. The key phrase in um, this place of scripture is with one accord. And it's found six times in the book of Acts. It's found in 114, 2, 1, and 46, 424, 5, 2, and 1525. There existed a wonderful unity that bound these believers together. All of them recognized that they could not have accomplished all that they did alone. They not only needed God's help, but the help and support of one another. This is a perfect example for um, us to follow. You might even call it a life application moment. This small group of believers was about to experience severe persecution. This is precisely why they spent so much of their time praying together, waiting and worshiping on the Lord, and this helped them to prepare for all that lay ahead. Verses 15 and 24 through 25 show the importance of prayer in the believers' lives. Prayer played a significant role in the story of the church. The believers prayed 
over many things, such as guidance and making important decisions, and for courage in their witness for Christ. Mm, Let's see here. In fact, prayer was a daily part of their ministry. In almost every chapter of the book of Acts, you can find a reference to prayer. The book of Acts makes it very clear that something happens when God's people pray. In verses 16 through 23, we found that the believers believed in God's leading. Even though the Lord was no longer with them, they were not without his leading. They had the word of God and they had prayer. In fact, the word of God and prayer formed the foundations of the ministry of the church. This tiny little group of 120 believers turned their world upside down for Christ. What was their secret? I believe it was the Holy Spirit. And Dr. Luke explains and all of this in chapter 2. Alrighty. So, before we begin um, digging into this lesson today, I'd like to start with um, a little word of prayer. So if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. Father God, what an awesome honor and a privilege it is to know you and to be known by you. I personally am so excited to be going through the book of Acts this year with these lovely ladies, my sisters in Christ. Lord, change is inevitable. It's just a part of life. As we, the body of believers, have experienced much change lately, I ask that you help us to embrace it and not to fear it or dread it, Lord. I believe it's good in the sense that times such as these help us to grow and to mature in our faith. Periods like this take us out of our comfort zone and stretch and mold us for challenges and positions we may, you may want us to fill. Positions and challenges we never imagined we'd be asked to face or to fill. You, Lord, have been patiently uh, shaping and preparing each of the members of the body to work together for the furtherance of your kingdom. With your leading and your power, we can accomplish great things. May we always remember to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. Now I ask that you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the word. May we receive it with gladness and understand it so as to better serve you. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So I want to start out our session today with a personal story of my experience with the gift of tongues. When I first was exploring the possibility of a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, I had a, a good friend that I made um, in beauty school. And, um, you know, we, we met there, we became roommates and fast friends. And um, she spoke so passionately about her best friend. And uh, she told me his name was Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, that kind of intrigued me. So it's like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> and um, she spoke of him in such a loving and tender way. And, and almost like she had this intimate relationship with him. And I was thinking to myself, how could one have a relationship with an invisible spirit being? Because that's really what I thought Jesus was all about, you know, that he was this invisible force somewhere. Anyway, um, she just worked on me and, and just, uh, you know, would tell me about, you know, who Jesus was in her life and just what he had done for her and what he had brought her through. And um, it was just a really awesome time. And one day she invites me to go to church with her while well, I quickly accepted. And uh, I found it was a really warm, accepting church. And they didn't care where I was in my walk because I was just beginning, <laughs> really not even beginning, just kind of contemplating. Anyway, um, 
everything was going really well until um, one night she invites me during the week to something called an afterglow, which I didn't know what it was or never been to one. And everything was going great and the lights were dimmed and we were listening to the message and we were hearing music and all of a sudden someone stands up and just starts talking in a language I didn't understand and I never heard before and you know, I gotta admit I was freaked out. <laughs> and I quickly just gathered my belongings and, and I I got up and I just made a beeline for the door and, and out to the parking lot and, and, and to my car and my girlfriend's running after me. Carmen, what's the matter? What happened? And I stopped and I looked at her and I said, I don't know what that was, but that really unsettled me. <laughs> I said, I've never seen that. It creeped me out. That can't be scriptural. That can't be from God. It just, it seems too weird, <laughs> you know. And um, you know what? She was such a good friend to me that she ended up saying, hey, you know what? We don't have to go back. Maybe it was a little too much too soon. She goes, why don't we go to our favorite coffee house down the street and, um, and I'll show you in the Word, you know, where um, the gift of tongues is used and the baptism of the Spirit. So she took her time with me, and I mean, we must have been there for a couple hours at least. And uh, so I felt better about it. But I quickly went home and, and I prayed, you know, and said, Lord, if you're out there and you're listening, um, you know, all that's good and whatever for other people. But if I'm going to follow you, and this was before I knew you couldn't put conditions on God because I was like that new. And so I said, you know, I'm only going to ask two things and I'll follow you. But, you know, don't give me that gift because it's creepy and I don't want to be embarrassed in front of people. And the other thing I told him was that I really didn't want to go to some foreign country and where I didn't know the language and I didn't like the food and I didn't know the customs. And you know what? He's honored that. I'm over it. I mean, if he sent me somewhere, I'd go. But, um, you know, it just goes to show that um, we all have to start somewhere. And we're all little babies. And, you know, we come along and, and God just, um, you know, he shows us and reveals himself to us. And, um, you know, we just... Grow to love him and trust him. And so if you don't know him real well, you know what? By the end of the study, you will. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'll always be grateful to my friend and our time together. You know, the Lord blessed me with, um, and he continues to bless me with wonderful mentors and, and just people that are in and out of my life as I walk with the Lord and I journey with him and they help me through some of the tough spots and, you know, help me understand scripture that just is confusing to me. And, you know, I'm just so grateful that the Lord is so faithful that he would do that for me. And um, so I, I only hope and I pray that the Lord would use me to help others to better understand the scriptures and to grow in their love for the Lord and to gain that personal and intimate relationship that I'm happy to report I have with the love of my life. You kind of cry, but my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He's so awesome. Let's clap to the Lord because He's so awesome. Uh, <laughs> all right, so that's going to lead me into our little demonstration we have here. My little cheat sheet here, the Greek words that I knew I wouldn't be able to remember under pressure. All righty, so the Holy Spirit works in the people of the earth, his creation, in three different ways. And the first way is when we're born, we're empty vessels. There's nothing in here. So this cup represents us at the time of birth. 
And we all know because of what happened in the Garden of Eden and man's experience there that we got cast out because we disobeyed God. And so that was our very first, um, our very first taste of sin and what it could do. And so this red dye represents sin in our lives. So we're going to pour a little water into here. Whoop. All righty. So this is the sin we're born with. And as we grow and continue in our life, we're pretty selfish and self-centered, you know, where it's all about me and numero uno. And um, we believe that, the, you know, the world and, and its thinking, and it kind of taints us and pollutes us, you know. And, um, you know, we just get more and more of that yucky stuff in us, you know. And um, the Holy Spirit is, like, represented here in this jug of water here. And the Holy Spirit, the first step is the Greek word para. And it means to come alongside or draw near or to be in the presence of. And so throughout our lives, the Holy Spirit is there. He's not in us because we haven't asked him to come into our lives. But he's there. He's all around. And he's knocking at our heart's door. And he keeps tapping. And he keeps tapping. And we keep rejecting him. No, not today, Lord. You know, I, I don't really know what to think of you. You know, so I'm kind of happy. I'm good. I got it covered. But he is persistent. And he's loving. And he keeps on tapping. And he keeps tapping. And then we go to step number two. One day, we, um, we become, we, ha- we have the end, which is in the Greek, it means um, being in or remaining within. And because the Lord, he wants closeness with us. He wants, an intim- he wants to participate intimately with us. Um, so he keeps knocking. One day we say, okay, uncle. All right, I'll try it your way. My way's not working so well. And so at that time that we repent of our sins and, and the Lord is, is able finally to enter in and to kind of take control and to lead us, he starts pouring the Holy Spirit, the water, the living water into us. And he keeps pouring. and We keep learning and we're reading the word and we're going to church and we're fellowshipping with other believers and we're growing in our strength and our faith. And so he keeps pouring and he keeps pouring into us. And we get really, really, really full. And then the epi part comes, which means that when we pray to the Lord for the filling of the Holy Spirit, um, he will honor that prayer and he will fill us. And he'll fill us so full that we overflow. And we overflow, and we overflow. Maybe I put too much red dye in here. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) before I run out of water, if you keep pouring into this cup, eventually what's going to happen? That that sin's going to get diluted, and it's going to get diluted, and it's going to run clearer and clearer until it's clear and we're righteous and we're holy and that's how God sees us he sees us without stain so anyway um what i'm what i'm getting at here is that um 
he loves us so much and he wants to share so much with you. And so he keeps pouring if we keep asking. But if we don't ask, he won't pour in. And so what happens when we cap off the Holy Spirit and, and he can't pour any more into us? Then we're kind of living for ourselves again. And we're regressing and we're, um, we're letting more of the world taint us. And so, you know, we still have a little bit of Holy Spirit, but as we sin and we kind of not, we don't pray anymore and we maybe go to church once a month instead of every week or three times a week, what happens is this glass here, this vessel, um, here's the first, you know, I'm not going to church this week, I just don't feel like it, you know, and so what happens, the water trickles out. Okay, and then, you know, the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us back. And, and if we listen to him, he'll patch that up and make it like new, like it was never there. And he'll fill us up again. But if we don't listen and we continue to just, you know, sin and do what we want to live for us, pretty soon, what would happen if I put water in here? It would just all drain out, wouldn't it? And so then we're like a car running on an empty tank of gas. And um, the car can't run if it doesn't have gas, you know. So we need to keep asking for the Holy Spirit's power. And we don't want to hinder our prayers to him because if we do, we're just going to be this holy vessel that's just going to, you know, lose its water. But if we turn back to him, we'll be whole again. And he'll be able to fill us up once again. And he'll fill us up. And he'll fill us up. And we'll get so full that we become to overflow. And what happens when we overflow? We're so ecstatic at what God's doing in our lives. I'll share another little story with you. Um, when I was considering becoming a Christian, I was back on the mountain and I was going to Calvary Chapel Lake Arrowhead. Met a wonderful pastor there. He's an associate pastor, Brett Welshmer. And he took me under his wing. And, and after he kind of got to know me a little bit, he invited me to start a Foundations and Faith class. And it was just a six week class. But it was really in-depth. And the light bulb went on. I was like, oh my gosh, I get it. I understand now how much Jesus loves me and, 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 and how much he's going to do for me and how much he's going to reveal to me and, and he's going to walk with me all the time, all the time. And so I decided, you know what, I'm ready. I'm just going to give my life over to the Lord and I know he's going to do great things. And thank goodness, I didn't have to wait long. They had a foundation, or they had a baptism two weeks after um, I committed my life to the Lord, so I just, I went so excited and so happy to go, and so I was dunked in the water, and, and I came up, a new person, new creation in Christ, and I was so ecstatic. I was just wanting to shout it from the mountaintop to everyone, and that's what he'll do. He'll keep pouring into you to where, you know what, you're overflowing, and what happens when you overflow? You share with others, and so you fill their empty cup. And then that person will tell someone and fill their empty cup and come to the Lord. And you know what? That's how the early church got started. The early church started out with 120 believers. And look what happened. Oh, my goodness. I mean, the, the gospel has been spread throughout the world, you know, to so many millions and probably billions of, pe- of people. But anyway, that's my little demonstration to you. <laughs> All righty. So let's dig into the message, shall we? Alrighty, Vance Havner, he made this statement. We are not going to move this world by criticism of it, no conformity to it, 
but by the combustion within it, within, um, within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. And I totally agree with him. The early church had none of the things that we think are so essential for success in today's world, such as impressive office buildings, big fat bank accounts, um, you know, strong political ties and influences. And let's not forget the much sought after and coveted social status. And yet, the early church experienced much success in winning multitudes to Christ. And they witnessed to many churches established throughout the Roman world. Why do you think that was? Well, I believe it was because the church had the power of the Holy Spirit, not just energizing them, but also propelling them forward. They were, um, they were a people, as Vance Havner quoted earlier, ignited by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit that fueled the early church is available to us today. The Holy Spirit, if allowed to work in our lives, can help to make us more effective witnesses for Christ. You see, the better we understand the working of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the better we'll be able to relate to the Holy Spirit and experience his power. In the ministry of the Holy, um, if it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring glory to Christ through the life and witness of the believer, we find this in um, John 16:14, and Acts 2 will help us to better understand the Holy Spirit by recording four occurrences in the life of the church. The first occurrence happened in Acts 2. So, if you want to follow along, open up your Bibles to chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It reads, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Here we see the church waiting for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as instructed by Jesus in Acts 1, 4 through 5. Let's take a closer look at the word Pentecost. It means 50th. This is because this um, particular feast was held 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. The calendar of Jewish feasts in Leviticus 23 is basically an outline of the work of Jesus Christ. Um, the Passover depicts Christ's death as the Lamb of God, and the Feast of First Fruits pictures Christ's resurrection from the dead. Fifty days after the Feast of First Fruits comes the Feast of, Pente- of Pentecost, which illustrates the formation of the church. At Pentecost, the Jews celebrated the giving of the law. However, Christians celebrate it because of the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. Now, the second occurrence happens in verses 2 through 13. Let's read through them now. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. They were heard... They When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But um, 
But others in the crowd ridiculed, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. In this second occurrence, we see the church worshiping the Lord. As we study the events of Pentecost, it's important to separate the accidentals from the essentials. First, the spirit came and the people heard the sound of rushing wind and saw tongues of fire. Secondly, the spirit baptized and filled the believers and then spoke as they praised God in various languages. And thirdly, the spirit empowered Peter to preach and then he convicted the listeners so that 3,000 of them trusted Christ and were saved. You can see the pattern here from the illustration. Um, the first word para, which is to convict, um, you see that happening in the first part here. And in the second part, the word M, and that was the conversion. And then you see the last word, which was, um, I already forgot, epi. <laughs> and uh, we see the filling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So I hope that little object lesson is helping. You're going to see that throughout our lesson today. Let's take a look at these ministries one at a time. First, the Spirit came, and we find this in verses 2 through 3. The Spirit had been active prior to Pentecost and had worked in creation in Old Testament history and also in the life and ministry of Jesus. However, now there were two big major changes. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would dwell on people. And in the New Testament, after Jesus' death and ascension, the Spirit dwelled in people. And secondly, um, his presence would now be permanent, not temporary. So we are the living temples of the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit? It's part of the triune Godhead. So we have God's power, his Spirit living in us. We're the living temple. I mean, that's to me, amazing. <laughs> anyway, what happens? Oh, wait here. There, um, these are three signs that accompanied the coming of the Spirit. The first sign was the sound of rushing wind. The second sign were tongues of fire. And the third one was the believers praising God in various languages. What happens when you combine wind and fire? We live on a mountain. What happens, ladies? <laughs> it does. It spreads, doesn't it? It becomes from a spark to a blaze. These people's lives were ignited. They were set ablaze by the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at the second ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit baptized. It says in verse 5, the Greek word baptizo has two meanings, one literal and one figurative. Literally, it means to submerge. Figuratively, it means to be identified with. The baptism of the, Holy, or the, baptism of the Spirit is an act of God by which he identifies believers with the exalted um, head of the church. Who is that exalted head of the church? Jesus, that's right, Jesus Christ. Historically, this took place at Pentecost, but today this takes place whenever a sinner trusts Jesus and is born again. The third ministry of the Spirit can be found in verse 4. It says that the Spirit filled. The filling of the Spirit has to do with power for witness, and for service. We are not exhorted to be baptized by the Spirit, for this is something God does um, once and for all when we trust His Son. But we are commanded to fill, be filled with the Spirit because we need His power constantly if we are to serve God effectively. Remember, you can't serve God if your spiritual gas tank is empty. God to have that continual filling. Now, the third ministry of the Spirit can be found. Oh, wait a minute, sorry. 
Fourth, fourth ministry of the Spirit. We find in verse 5 through 13 where it says that the Spirit spoke. It's important to note here that the believers were praising God, not preaching the gospel, and that they used known languages, unknown, um, not unknown tongues. Dr. Luke named uh, 15 different geographical locations and clearly stated that the citizens of those places heard Peter and the others declare God's wonderful works in languages that they could understand. Another interesting thing, now check this. I found this like fascinating. Um, is to take note um, is that Pentecost was a reversal of the judgment of the Tower of Babel. You guys are all familiar with that story? Okay. Um, now, um, hold on here. Yeah, the Tower of Babel, when God confused man's languages, God's judgment at Babel scattered the people, but God's blessing at Pentecost united the believers in one spirit. Um, at Babel, the people could not understand each other, but at Pentecost, man heard God's praises and they understood what was said, so it blessed everyone. The Tower of Babel was a scheme designed to praise men and make a name for themselves. The Pentecost brought praise to God. The building of Babel was an act of rebellion. The Pentecost was a ministry of humble submission to God. Can you see the contrast? It's amazing. Um, another reason for the gift of tongues was to let the people know that the gospel was for the entire world. It was God's intention to speak to every person in their own language in order to give them the saving message of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. I think it would be safe to say that the emphasis of the book of Acts is on worldwide evangelism. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> yeah. Now, the third occurrence of the church witnessing to the lost we find this in verse 14 through 41. And I'll start reading here at verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Uh, Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and, fi wait, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red. Before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I know that sometimes it can be a little confusing if you don't understand the timelines and the dispensation. Um, there's seven dispensations in the Bible. Um, the period here that we're talking about is the church age. So after God's ascension into heaven and the Holy Spirit coming to earth, um, you know, at first it talked about, you know, like, you know, the, the prophesying and, and visions and dreams and all that. Um, that is a period that's been happening for over 2,000 years. And the gloom and doom at the end of this 
is talking about what's to come. You know, it's talking about the tribulation period, um, which we won't be partaking in that. <laughs> the Lord is going to come for us before that. So, you know, it's so important to share the word with your family, with your friends, your neighbors, you know, because we're like throwing lifesavers out there, you know, um, they don't know any different. You know, they don't know that they're on the super highway of 10, 20 lanes, you know, fast lane, Autobahn, straight to hell, you know. And so um, if you love them, you're going to be sharing with them. Alrighty, righty. We'll take up again in um, verse 22. Um, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and this prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to the cross and killed him, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. That's pretty awesome, huh? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't think there um, are better stories or um, books or movies. It doesn't get better than the Bible. All righty. King David said um, this about him. See that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy, with your, with your joy in your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead. And, he will, and we are all witness to this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Proof again of the Trinity. Peter's words pierced the hearts, their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called for the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Pretty incredible, huh? That's quite a soul harvest that day. Um, in Peter's sermon to the Jews, to the Jewish audience, he explains three things to the people. First, he explains what took place. And what took place was that the Spirit came. 
In verses 14 through 21, we read about the joyful worship of the believers and that this worship was not the result of too much wine, as they speculated. It was the evidence of the arrival of the Holy Spirit to dwell in his people. It was indeed the dawning of a new age, the church age, the last days, in which God would bring to completion his plan of salvation for mankind. Jesus had um, finished the great work of redemption, and nothing more had to be done except to share the good news with the world, beginning with the nation of Israel. Peter explained how it happened. Jesus was alive. We read this in verses 22 through 25. Peter gave the people four proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first proof was the person of Jesus Christ. He was a real person. He was from the town of Nazareth. He performed many signs and miracles witnessed by many. And it was clear that God had his hand on him through his words and by the way he lived his life. And they saw him rise from the dead. Pretty strong proof, I'd say. Proof two was the prophecy of David in Psalms 6, 8 through 11. And I'll go ahead and read it real quick to you again. It just sounds a little differently, probably from, you know, um, a different portion of the Bible. Um, now the Lord always with, um, I know that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy one to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Oh, so looking forward to that. All righty, and proof number three was the witness of the believers. After his resurrection, Jesus, not, um, Jesus did not appear to the world at large, but to his own followers, whom he had commissioned to give witness to others um, that he was alive. And proof four was that the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit found in verses 33 through 35. Jesus had promised to send the Holy Spirit, but only after he had died risen and ascended into heaven. Jesus had to be alive in order for the Holy Spirit to be present. And then the second thing Peter explains in this sermon is why the Holy Spirit came. And this is found in verses 36 through 41. We read that this took place in order to save the sinner. The Holy Spirit took Peter's message and used it to convict the hearts of the, um, of the listeners. Peter shared with them how they could be saved, that they had to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ, and that they could give proof of the sincerity of their repentance of faith by ba- being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ thus identifying themselves publicly with the Messiah and Savior. This was the only way they could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise was for both the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, And there is a whole lot of confusion. I remember as um, when I first came to the Lord, um, I was told, I'm sure by a well-intentioned person, uh, but misinformed person, that um, the only way you knew that you were, had been baptized by the Holy Spirit um, was to speak in tongues. 
And I was so young, I didn't know any different. And, oh, I prayed and I prayed and I thought it was defective. <laughs> I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, am I ever going to get it? And um, you know what? As I, as I, you know, let the Holy Spirit lead and I would read through the scriptures, you know, I came across um, the scripture where it said that, you know, after Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came, that at the time that you repent of your sins and you ask Jesus in, that the Holy Spirit then is um, is granted to you the baptism of the Spirit. So what a relief! <laughs> and um, you know, not everyone speaks in tongues. Um, it's it's one of the spiritual gifts, but the Bible says it's not the best or the greatest. That the greatest gift, well, outside of love, is the gift of prophecy. You know, because when you speak in tongues, it's like a prayer language. It's in a foreign tongue, and not everyone's going to understand it. So it only um, benefits the person speaking it to the Lord. Um, but the gift of prophecy is for everyone. It's for the whole church. And so it edifies and encourages and comforts the whole church. So, um, you know, if you don't have the gift, join the club. It's okay. <laughs> you know, there are so many other combinations of spiritual gifts that God has given you and talents. Um, that you have naturally that he's given you and and he can use every one of those so be open to the leading of the spirit all righty and um the fourth and um last occurrence here was um the church walking in the spirit this can be found in verses 42 through 47 which we will read over right now so starting with verse 42 all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing and meals including the lord's supper and to prayer um a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all of the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now here the believers um, continued to use the temple as their place of assembly and ministry, but it also says that they met in various homes. Um, the 3,000 converts needed instruction in the word, and they needed to fellowship with um, God's people, you know, people that had been walking for a while, people that were mature, people that had great faith. Um, because when what happens when you, when you um, take two swords and you rub them together? What happens? Yeah, iron sharpens iron, right? And so that's what happens when um, you come alongside someone who is further along in their walk. You know, they become your mentor and they teach you everything that they know. So it's um, it's a good thing to, to come alongside someone. Um, um, okay, so the, they needed um, fellowship with God's people. Um, and if they were to grow and become effective witnesses, the early church did more than make converts. They also made disciples. So that's the, the key thing here. You know, it's not just about being filled. When we're filled, yeah, we're saved, but what are you going to do with it? You know, are you going to go and pour it out on, on the people around you? Are you going to go and make disciples out of, um, you know, people that are all around you? You know, I mean, we are so blessed 
to be filled with the Spirit and so blessed to um, just be filled and to receive the outpouring and the blessings in our lives. I mean, it's like, wouldn't you want that for everyone? I mean, I want it for everyone in my life and and people I don't even know. (laughs) You know, all the missionaries and all the people being saved all around the world. All righty. And the Christians um, we meet today in the book of Acts, um, they weren't content with meeting once a week um, for services as usual. They, they met daily. They cared for one another daily. Um, they went over souls daily. They searched the scriptures daily and they increased in numbers daily. For them, it was um, a day-to-day reality, not just a once-a-week routine. Oh, ouch. Um, you know, it's sad um, to say that this is exactly where we find ourselves at times. I'm including myself with everyone, too, because I do it, too. Um, we can allow our lives to become so busy, consumed with so many fill-ins, that we settle into a routine that doesn't leave much room for all that which we um, were called for. And, um, and that is to do all the things that were listed above here. Um, the risen Christ was living a living reality to the early church, and his resurrection power was at work in their lives through the Holy Spirit. Are you ready to make some changes in your life? Are you willing to make that kind of a commitment for Christ? Um, you know, the thing is that if we're to experience the same kind of momentum and growth that the early church had, we need to follow that example. We need to ask for the filling of the Spirit daily. And then, and only then, will we be able to turn that spark into a roaring blaze. Alrighty, now ladies, um, before I close in prayer, um, at the end of prayer, once the mic is turned off, um, I want you to remain in the sanctuary because um, there was a song that uh, I heard about a month ago. I was waiting for my niece to get off work, and I was in the car listening to the radio, and it's a piece of music I'd never heard before, but man, it pierced my heart, and it just hit the bullseye right between the eyes. Um, and it's by Jeremy Camp, and it's called Same Power, and it talks about the Holy Spirit's power in us and how powerful it is and how little we utilize it. You know, we need to be asking for it. So once we close in prayer, stay in the sanctuary, um, I hope you'll be as blessed as I was. Um, Teresa is going to put it up on the PowerPoint. and You'll be able to um, read along and, and, and listen to the lyrics. If you know it, stand up, sing, praise the Lord. You know, and if you don't, you want to sit quietly just listening to the lyrics, please do so. All right, so we'll all bow our heads and we'll pray. Father God, we come to you, some broken, some weary, and others uncertain about the future. But Lord, all wanting more of you, we ask that you ignite and set ablaze these hearts of ours for what excites you. Give us your vision, Lord. Show us where, where and how we can be used by you. If some are not sure of their spiritual gifts, help them to discover them and to put them to good use. We thank you for giving us such wonderful examples in your word. Lord, we ask that you help us to apply these truths to our daily lives. May we too experience the same power of the Spirit as that of the early church. You are awesome, Lord, and we love you so much. Father God, fill us afresh with your Spirit today so that we might be more effective witnesses of your love to the unsaved world. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.